All right, welcome to this week's episode of the Sustaining Artist, episode seven. I am Shoni Shukru, and this podcast is brought to you by Locked in the Attic Productions, cut together by Patrick Shearer, who is not in New York today. He's actually here with me, and we are at the Zero Studio in Chicago. Sound being captured by AJ Ka. Uh, thanks, AJ. We actually got lost on the uh, New, York, uh, New York, on the Chicago subway system, and we were a little bit behind, but uh, we appreciate your patience. Pat, you're actually a guest on the show. How does that feel? It feels great. I'm so happy to be here. Welcome. <laughs> and you know the drill. I don't have to explain anything to you. <laughs> no, yeah, don't. Pat, of course, is our editor. Are you ready to do this? I am ready to do this. My day job is making me older, and my suits look like they are lovers, and I things I do So excuse me if I'm rude to you The six o'clock call drives me crazy Keep thinking to myself And we are back Pat, welcome to Chicago. Uh, actually, you got here before I did, so you should be welcoming me. It's a great city. You were here about four hours before. Yeah, about four hours. Because I took the train from New York. Pat, you are uh, an editor, you're an actor, a stage manager, you're, uh, um, I, I could go on, you're a carpenter, you um, you are a true renaissance man, which is your favorite of all the things you do, of all the hats you wear? Who um, am I interviewing today? Pat the editor, Pat the actor, <laughs> just um, Patrick the man? Well, if we're talking about film, then then it would be Patrick the editor. I wonder if we were talking about theater. If we're talking about theater, then it would be Patrick the technical director. When what would we have to talk about to be Patrick the actor? Well, that's that's all encompassing. You know, we 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 like all of it. Right. Well, let's go back to the start, Patrick. You were born in Sacramento. I watched Lady Bird. I haven't been to Sacramento, but I watched Lady Bird. Have you seen it? I did see it actually. A true representation of, course. of your childhood. It, teen yeah. years. The teen years, exactly. Yeah, it looked a little depressing. It can be depressing out there. Yeah. You know, it's funny having Pat on the show because usually the guests I've had this season, I barely know them. You know, I've met them once or twice, but I've known you a long time, which we'll get into. But um, how growing up in a military household in Sacramento, did you decide that you wanted to be uh, all these things? That's a, an excellent question because um, as a carpenter and as a technical director, that was always part of like growing up was like building things and I'm an Eagle Scout. So it's like, I'm from Ireland. So I don't know what an Eagle Scout is. I was a freshman in high school and I was wrestling collegiate style wrestling. And my brother who was a senior came to me after wrestling practice. And he goes, my school or my class is doing a play tonight. Do you want to come see the play? And I was like, okay, sure. Let's do that. And I'm watching this play. And this woman walks out on stage. Um, and I turned to my brother and I was like, you get to hang out with girls like this doing this stuff. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that woman, um, ends up being a, uh, a Tony nominated actress for 42nd street. Um, she was in the revival of, uh, the music man on Broadway when I was a senior in high school. Um, so it's like when I first got to New York in 2002, the big billboard for 42nd street, she's in the blue dress in the middle. Bam. This is who she is. Kate Levering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, this is, this is, she was the reason that I got into it. So you started taking acting classes, started taking acting classes, started doing theater, met a whole bunch of people and then moved into Napa Valley, did professional theater there for a couple of years and then came out to New York. 
You went to college upstate New York? I went to college at SUNY Purchase. Yeah. Okay. I went to the acting conservatory there. So you learned everything about theater there as well as acting? I learned more about the craft of stage craft, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the acting was, was amazing, like, because we were in the studio all day, every day. And, but getting to learn from the professionals on the technical side and like what exactly what a play can actually be. That's what I learned at purchase. Right. So you've graduated par uh, purchase and then you decided to move to New York. Uh, no purchase was upstate. So I All came, I came here for purchase. Like I auditioned for purchase in San Francisco and then came out here. We're in Chicago, Pat. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. To New York. <laughs> to, the, to this side. To Don't this confuse side. the audience, no, Patrick. Right. <laughs> uh, so you moved to New York City in 2002. 2002, I moved to, to New the York. city. Yeah. Well, no, to the city I moved in 2006. Yeah. Upstate New York doesn't count. No, no, you're absolutely yeah. right. No, Anything right. above 86th Street doesn't, no longer count. <laughs> so um, you moved to, what did you do when you first got to New York City? Did you get a job? Uh, I was working as a bartender. Um, because I, I had been bartending up in like Connecticut where the school was and then transferred down here, started working down here while still living up there. And then I moved so into the city. So you bartended in Connecticut? I bartended in Connecticut. Anyone that's yeah. seen Misty Button will get a kick out of that. Yeah. It's one of the, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what was your first bartending job in New York City? Um, it was a place called Harbor Lights. No longer there. No longer there. Uh, it was part of the South Street Seaport. That was just a guess. Uh, no, because they, they tore it down. Um, oh, okay. But they tore it down right as they were shooting. They were shooting. Um, do you remember that Will Smith film, I Am Legend? Oh, I love that. Um, film. So they filmed that at the South Street Seaport. Um, oh, and that was and Harbor Lights was still there when they were doing that. I met you 10 years ago and you were bartending at Cinema Cafe, which is also no longer there, exactly. which kind of fits the theme of the oh last couple gosh. of episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was bartending with a good friend of ours, Josh Follin, also um, um, a prolific filmmaker. And you were bartending next door at Cinema Cafe, which is when we met back in 2009. Mm, yeah, it was 2009. And you were an editor then. I was working as an associate producer for a film company called Quadrant Entertainment. And they brought me on as an intern that then quickly became post-production supervisor for a film um, back in 2007. So they shot the movie and then we released it. What was the uh, film? It's called How to Seduce Difficult Women. <laughs> wow. Well, probably wouldn't have been produced in 2019. Probably not. Uh, uh, why were they difficult? Was it because they were really smart or was it because they were just, they had no patience? I think the dude... The difficult is... It could have been a worse word than difficult. It could have been... It could have been a worse yeah. word. But difficult is still like... Right. It's ambiguous. It is... Uh, and and it's it's supposed to rile up some sort of emotion is it er in... erotic no no it's a straight up comedy and it's actually it's a it is it is a cute little movie do they it give is. you the answer at the end no but a bunch of them do find somebody that they can hang out with how know? did the film do 17 <laughs> percent on rotten tomatoes okay um, not great not no, terrible no. <laughs> <laughs> um nobody saw it Nobody okay, saw it. So, right. Nobody saw it, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I mean, 99% of films that are made, no one sees it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we did put it up in the theater. We put it up in Cinema Village East. I remember you were outside on 2nd Avenue uh, handing out flyers. Yeah. That's so, a humbling experience. It's a very humbling. I've been there. Yeah. Me and Josh stood on 34th Street handing mm. out flyers, not to see our movie, but to help us make our movie right. like years ago. 
it's humbling. It is. But it, it, it adds to the character, you know? It adds to where we are right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, look where we are right now. Yeah, this it's great. Scenario. Yeah. So, what about the acting? In two, I don't remember you hearing about you acting in 2009. Yeah, that's just it, is that I, I had decided, well, I met, a, I met a guy during college who, uh, we talked about it, and he was like, well, if you want to do the producing stuff, then do the back end. Like, mm -hmm. learn it, learn it, and do it. Um, and Have then, you auditioned much in New York? I, well, because I, I was working in post-production for so long that it wasn't until the end of 2014 that I started re-auditioning and doing some other stuff and then did a self-tape, um, which I produced inside of my apartment up in Harlem, uh, a scene from Streetcar Named Desire with this woman and it was awesome and it still is awesome. Um, but it was also to showcase my editing style and like how, how I can work with two cameras and blah, blah, blah all those um, the technical aspect of being an editor. And then in June of that same summer, well, I had also started a catering company and then we threw a pig roast and then we did all these other things. But then you called me in June of 2015 mm -hmm. while I was at a barbecue. I think it was June 7th. Hey, I've got a roll for you. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Black me out. Black me out. Peter Cooper. That's right. Let's talk about Locked in the Attic Productions. Um, people have heard it at the beginning of every show. Patrick Shearer of Locked in the Attic Productions in New York. The first play we did Black Me Out, and then we ended up doing six plays in a year and a half. Anyone that wants to put up a play in New York, if you're thinking about doing it, it's very cheap if you sell a lot of tickets. In fact, you can even make a little bit of money. If you're not selling tickets, it's a problem. Um, it's a tough business. Uh, we put up six in a year and a half. Um, eight productions, six new plays. Uh, which was your favorite of the six plays we did? Um, I, I still, One Way to Pluto is still one of my favorite pieces that we did. I wrote it. I directed it. I hated it. It was a three hour. I, I, I mean, looking back, I hate it. It was just three hours long. It was, it was a three hour long marathon. Yeah. That yeah. was a, a long. Yeah. Um, and it was controversial. Mm hmm. Uh, 10 minutes into the play, we had you in high heels and a pink dress and a blonde mm -hmm. wig shooting dope. On a WWE chair. Under a spot, on a WWE chair, under a spotlight. Yep. After, and then it kind of just goes way far out after that. Way far, <laughs> way far. We end up in Pluto. We end up going to Pluto. Well, speaking of One Way to Pluto, there was an incident on One Way to Pluto. Um, I'll never forget it. Um, I was doing the, I was running the board that night, and uh, a man that was up there in the rafters looking down, you change into your uh, fishnet tights. I left out, I believe. You change into your fishnet tights. You put your lovely blonde, um, beautiful wig on. Mm -hmm. um, and then and the high heels. And the high and heels. And while keeping perfect time to Against Me's, um, yeah. what was it? what's the song called? Like, uh, tra Trash on Real. There it is. One of my favorite songs. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, um, I, I, I turned to Amanda and I said, What's that? What, the, what 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 what's going on? And uh, trying to think of the right word to use on the podcast, but Patrick's penis was hanging out uh, by accident, and we weren't like there was a fourteen-year-old child in the front row that shouldn't have been there in the first place. In your defense, this was a very very R-rated play, but definitely we didn't advertise full frontal nudity, no. and it was very. Um, 
yeah, and people might, I know if anyone there thought it was intentional, but I've always wondered, and I don't know if I ever asked you, was like, we, we, did you notice that at what point? Okay, so. Because it was out for a long ex- okay, so period of time. The, the dance sequence. Okay, so we had choreographed this beautiful dance piece um, where he puts on the lips, like he kicks the girl out, he goes down, he puts the, the lipstick on, he puts the gloves on, um, and then he pulls out his thing and then um, his... Uh, his cook kit out of his laundry bag and he's keeping time because he's a drummer. Peter Cooper is, is an incredible drummer. Mm-hmm. And so he's keeping time with his drum and then he's setting up his cook station while he's taking off his sweatpants. Now I'd already been wearing the fishnets and I had my <laughs> boxer shorts underneath. So I'm in my fishnets and a tank top for a minute. And I don't know how, cause then you have to put the heels on. And then you have to put the dress on. And all the while you're, you're doing this one and you're pulling this dress down and I'm facing the audience. I'm like, boom, 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 <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm shimmying into this dress. And that's when I looked down and that's when I saw a little guy. And I was like, okay. And then I turned up stage. So I honestly have no idea. I, I, from the moment that I took my sweatpants off. And you had a love interest in the crowd at the time too. We won't mention who it was. Uh, some was, people think well, that it might have been intentional, Patrick. Uh, the, it, it was just not because then I ended, up, <laughs> I ended up taping my boxer shorts from then on. Like I ended up literally having to tape them because I was like, "That won't ever happen again." I, well, it was a conversation for me because I had to talk to you after and be like, "You know, Patrick, this can't happen. We can't like." There was a fourteen-year-old in the front row. We can't have like yep this yep hanging out. It was just as embarrassing for me as it was for everybody else involved. Yeah. Yeah, um, but then I would we imagine going. it was more so for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I you mean, went on with the show. Oh, you 100%. Know, we watched a football game last night, and then with a minute to go, player got really badly hurt, and he got stretched off the field, and we're like, mm-hmm. how are they, these guys going to finish the show? Uh, you're, you know, your situation is different. But, like, you bounced right back in, and you killed it for the rest of the show. You just forget that that happened, and it's like, okay, I'm, i got to get back into the mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. yeah, it was very easy to get back into the scene because I mean he literally in that moment he puts on the wig and then he he cooks he cooks his heroin right and like as soon as that needle goes in it's just like okay like this is where we are because mm-hmm. it you know we did the tie off he's holding onto it it's like shoo, and then spins down and falls yeah. back down so a year and a half of putting up those plays what was your favorite memory best experience uh the best experience um by far was probably the reception from our, our, our first run mm-hmm. actually of black me out. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved this. Um, we didn't know how it was going to go, but then we also like when I first, when we first got into the theater and once we started working on it, I was like, let me handle the scene transitions and you just let me do it. And I feel like that was the beginning of our working relationship, mm-hmm. which is like, this is, this is as technical director this is how we can cut your scene transitions in to 20 seconds at most. And then we had a guy named Michael Toole, um, who was one of the stagehands. And we had to move a Christmas tree from offstage onto stage. And he had to plug it in. And that was his track. Everybody had a track. Everybody was involved with all of the scene transitions. I made Michael Toole move that Christmas tree a hundred times. Right. Because it was like, pick it up from here. It sounds move. easy to move a Christmas tree. But, but if you want to look sexy when you're moving the Christmas And that's tree. what I kept saying to him. I was like, bro, we got to make it sexy. Like, make it sexy. This is a scene transition and we are doing things. Um, boom, boom, boom. And then that just kind of propelled forward. Um, some of the other great moments were like Brian Murphy 
when we're moving the uh, when we're moving the party tray over and we're putting it down stage and you and I we both look at Brian Murphy. It's like, can you do something, please? Can you just like be a part of the party, please? And he just went balls to the wall, pissing in. Oh, that's pots, right, pissing yeah. in pants and like you know. Yeah. I was like, thank you. You can have so for, much fun with those yeah, transitions. Just be a part of it. Keep and the he, story going exactly. Uh, yeah, and he really killed it, you know. Mm-hmm. But then, then Jimmy, gosh, man, when when we first when we told Jimmy that we need to clear the stage and it's your job to stack these chairs and stack these tables and pull them off while you're looking for your banana. Mm-hmm. And that first day in rehearsal when he just went, just went balls to the wall. It's like, um, what was his name? Um, what's his character's name? Um, in which play? In uh, fade to black. Devin, 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 get the table, <laughs> which is a WWE yeah. reference too. And so he slammed all the tables down and pulled them off. And you and I, we both stood up and we're like, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we'll, we'll fine tune it. But that's exactly what yeah. we're looking for. You know, after Jimmy passed away, um, just everyone showing up at the hospital and, and mm-hmm. afterwards and just seeing the community we built. And like, yeah. it was such a, that was a great experience. Just even though it was a shitty situation, yeah. it was just a cool experience seeing everyone there. You know, we've been working together at the time for almost a year. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Recipes, Jimmy, who, mm-hmm. whose headshot made it into black, uh, to Misty, Misty Button, which is cool. We put Love is Dead back up. Um, Again, November 2017. It was September of 2017. The, okay. Yeah. Which was the last uh, play we did. Mm-hmm. Um, not the last, but we haven't put one up since. Uh, that was an interesting experience. It, it led to so much. So much. Yeah. So much. First of all, we cast Julie Reifers in the play. Yeah. Um, Julie, great actress. Uh, I love her because she's as crazy as I am. Crazy like a fox. Um I wouldn't ever underestimate Julie Reifers. Ever. She led to being one of the main reasons that Love is Dead opened the door to a huge 2018, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. Um, but before that happened, Bon Bon happened. We shot our first short film together um, with Hannah Jane and John Warren. Right. Well, yeah, Mike Free is the one who told us about it during the run yeah. of Lo- Love is Dead. And yeah, it was we a, kind of- a short festival. Well, yep. we had done a film before that, like in January of 2017, mm-hmm. Love is Dead, the movie. And we kind of just swore off film after that. That right? Well, I do. After every film shoot, I say, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. It's like getting a tattoo. It hurts for five hours. You say, I'm never doing this again. And then when the pain, you forget how much it hurts, then you go yeah, and get another you one. You just go do another one. Exactly. Um, and that's the same with the film. Mm-hmm. You know, after during Misty Button, I was like, I'm never doing this again. This is just nuts. I can't work. <laughs> 15, 22 hour days in a row yeah. again. This is, and then, you know, I can't wait to shoot another one. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, after shooting Catch, I said, I'm never doing it again. Mm-hmm. We did all the plays. Then mm-hmm. we did Love is Dead, I'm never doing this again. We did Pop Another Play. Then we did Bomb Bomb, which Bamba, was fun. We shot on one which day. Which was an incredible experience. Yeah. It won an award. It went to a festival. It was fun. And then Julie wanted us to shoot a short called Tammy Smoke. After Spite, though. Uh, we shot a After pilot, Spite, yeah. Which was kind of about what we'd been doing for mm-hmm. a year and a half, or exactly. for a couple of years, well, putting out plays and. That led to Misty Budden, that led to which Misty is why Budden. we're in Chicago. Yeah. So for anyone listening that's like thinking about shooting an independent film, it's if you think it's in any way glamorous, you're out of your mind. I think everyone thinks there's some glamour to it. Like tonight, we're going to a festival and there's like a whole like take pictures before, eat some popcorn, drink a Diet Coke and watch your film. And that's mm-hmm. a great uh, fulfilling moment. But like the roads leading to that and sometimes the roads don't lead to anything are harsh 
we have put two years of solid work into this project. Mm-hmm. Like that may or may not make money next year. Um, it's just like you put like years of work into things that, and there might never be a payoff. Yeah. So like Misty Button for you, what was your favorite part of the whole process? Oh, my favorite part of the whole process. While you're thinking about that, location scouting, me and you had a fun time. We did. And I remember being in the car. We're going over to 59th Street Bridge. This is a couple of days before the shoot. And I say, you know what? Let's check in with the diner we're supposed to shoot at in a few days. Because I haven't heard from them. I'm getting a little worried. So just go. Uh, you asked me for the number. Goodfellas Diner in Goodfellas. <laughs> Yep. Queens. And uh, I said, just Google the place. I'm, I'm driving over to 59th Street Bridge. I said, Pat, just Google it. And the number will pop up. You Google it. And then you read, oh, the Goodfellas Diner burnt down last night. <laughs> So we went the out there because I, I was like, there's no way. The, the news is wrong. We went out there and the fucking diner was burnt yeah, down. It's a real thing that happened, man. Yeah. yeah. And like so many, there was so many more things went wrong. And when we were that. looking at it, I mean, you can tell, really tell, like the kitchen just exploded. The windows were blown out. Just completely. Yeah. There was glass everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that was. That. They were also going to charge us like $15,000 for a day. Well, I mean, we weren't going to pay that, but right. they wanted to. Yeah. And then, you know what, though? Talk about, like, the whole shoot. The word to describe the whole shoot was serendipity. It led to us using Little Skips, which is the most beautiful location on the phone. Really, and they yeah. let us, and it just closed down in Bushwick, which is why I've been so angry with New York recently, because all my favorite places are closing down. Yeah. So Little um, Skips was very good to us. Absolutely. They were so good to us. Yeah. And then their landlord upped the rent, and now they're gone. And it's like, whenever I go back to New York, like I moved to LA a year ago, I've been back to New York, what, 15 times? Yeah. I go there every time, and now it's gone. Well, that happened a couple of times, because we even, we went to how many motels, and how many people did yeah. we talk to about the motels, and then finally, mm-hmm. we're on Katona, or McLean, and we, and we drove we by meet, a church. We meet Trevor. With a number outside it. Yeah. And that was our home base for yeah. the whole shoot. Yeah. Like, we, I don't know how we would have, shot that film without that church yeah um so yeah. thank you trevor honestly yeah and and for any uh writers out there that's writing a script that you're going to shoot on the the indie uh hard way don't try and shoot in motels don't try and shoot in hotels and don't try and shoot in diners because they don't close you have to pay them to shut down or you're, you're not getting the location and they fill it with numbers and they they, they want way too much money like yeah. everyone does in new york so what was your favorite part of the experience um the the pre-production and the working with working with Kimberly Matella on like the coffin and on a couple of the other builds and you know being able to you know really get prepared like we hadn't met Michael Nye yet and so like that was an incredible experience um and then in the editing room cuz i mean the, the those 9 days i mean yeah Vanessa Vlesk was like saved my life you know what i mean it's like Kimberly Mattella from driving from driving yeah I almost yeah. fell asleep at the wheel well, well Michael Knight did me no favors <laughs> I know Mike's gonna listen to this too I'm driving him home we worked a 22 hour day we're in the North Bronx in Woodlawn almost yeah. in friggin Yonkers and we gotta drive back to Bushwick yeah. in Brooklyn at 8 o'clock in the morning I haven't stepped in days yeah. we get in the car and before I turn the key Mike is snoring next to me yeah. so I'm like okay I guess I don't. Right. he did wake up once we got to about Queens I think but uh, but we met it yeah yeah so I mean and then just like the busy the 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 busy and John McGinty and getting to meet him and getting to work with him all of that on set was was amazing but then also the editing bay you know it's like afterwards now let's before we get to post production uh, we did we covered pre-production but you were also and you acted in the film and you delivered an amazing performance and you were also the key grip. I remember before you did a scene, you were holding a script, reading your lines, and I ran up to you and I said, what the fuck? 
fuck are you doing? Put the script down, dude. We got to hang the lights. <laughs> and after I said it, I was like, Jesus Christ, did I just say that to Pat? It was a Which, crazy shoot. It was a crazy shoot. Um, And, you know, if it wasn't for the the mentality that we all had when we mm-hmm. were walking into it. And then that just goes back to independent filmmaking. But you see it in huge budget films. Like I just watched Tarantino's movie and the continuity, especially in Al Pacino's scene, almost so bad that it looked intentional. As like, well, just yeah. a mess. We did talk about that last night about, yeah. um, I, I'm sure that it was supposed to be something. And then the editor had to make it look like it mm-hmm. was intentional. Well, I, I've actually heard Al Pacino in an interview talk about like, what do you what what's more important strong performance or strong continuity and it's always strong always performance. strong performance yeah. there's a list of six different things that i kind of like that i kind of have on my whiteboard at all times all right and the first one is emotional connectivity to the scene the second one is um is eye trace is where i'm looking mm-hmm. and where i'm looking towards where the camera is so your eye trace is number two um, and then number three is like your 2d plane of action. And the number three is your 3d plane of action. But there's, there's no, no brilliant editor is going to say, Oh, I focus 100% on continuity. Mm-hmm. You look at the big short, which was, which won for editing, won an Academy Award for editing. And it was designed to be this frenetic sort of like storytelling, you know, mm-hmm. unlike Mad Max, which also one for editing and every single frame from frame to frame is tracking something. And it's brilliant with how much energy was going on on every single plate and every single shot. And then being able to track this guy coming this way. And then in the next shot, this dude is still putting his arm in the other side and bouncing back. It's, mm-hmm. it's brilliant. Yeah. So you're editing and then 40, 50 hours a week. And how many hours have you been at the bar while you were editing? this? Yeah, that was, it was about 40. How many in the last two years since we started I think I, I wrote this one two years ago we, maybe we started the last year and a half how many cans of Red Bull and Monster have you drank if you a rough estimate you're doing what three a day it would be three a day so 21 a week that's a hundred that's what we'll say yeah. we'll say pro, pro, I'm assuming that we'll say 80 a month so yeah 80 what's that seven uh, 120 a yeah. year something like that yeah. so that oh, you've had a thousand now that's you've had a thousand okay. Pat last year <laughs> in the month of September and October Vanessa we cracked Mark. the thousand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mark, I'm not judging you. I'm probably not far behind. Last year, in between uh, September and October, Vanessa had said, "Like, hey, let's get off the monster and let's start drinking pineapple juice, or I'm sorry, coconut water with pineapple, and like, let's start making tea." That's like giving a cocaine addict a banana. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like just oh, have this. this. Okay. There's just, energy in the banana too. <laughs> But it did work for those two months. And then it was like, oh, man. Oh, you I, actually got two months oh, yeah. off it? Yeah, I got two months off of it. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been bartending uh, in New York since 2004? 2000. City, New York City. Before you correct me. 2006. Patrick. 2006 is when I moved to the city. So okay. that's when I started. So 13 years. You yeah. pretty much bartended the whole time on the side? Yeah, oh, for sure. What's the worst bartending shift you ever had? Worst bartending shift? I had a guy pull a gun on me my first bartending shift in the East Village. I don't know if that's my worst shift, but I, that was a story. Yeah, I've got many, many stories. I don't know if I have a worst shift where I was like, I will never do this again. Uh, it has to be when you're hungover, right? Red Bull and Adderall, man. How is uh, something I talked to Ryan about and we too. How do you control your ego? You're bartending, like you're a talented guy. Um, you ever get like in your head, like I shouldn't be doing this shit. I'm a fucking amazing editor and actor and all these things. You ever let that bother you when you're at work? No, no. Um you know, there's a there's a really great 
uh, line that goes, um, you know, if you're going to do a thing, you might as well do it right. And, and, and so I enjoy it. Like, if I'm going to be doing because I know that this is the only way that I'm going to be able to. Do you think you have a bartending career if like everything else didn't work out? You think you could do this for another 10 years? Bartending? I don't know. I would have to go into management. Oh, that would just be, I think that would be the, the, that would be the day that I go, okay, no. Yeah. The day that I can no longer bartend and I would have to go into management out of a restaurant. Right. Well, the industry's changed so much um, and it's actually super complex now. Whereas in 2005, it was singing vodka sodas. Mm-hmm. Now it's actually a skill that you have. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if age, I think you can bartend now. Maybe not till four in the morning. It's though. the energy. It's the energy yeah. that it takes. And, you know, it's like sometimes you feel it in your back and it's just like, okay, well, this is kind of a bummer. Yeah. What's you your know? dream job? Um, dream job would be to... Um, dream uh, scenario dream scenario okay check this out uh locked in the attic productions is a massive production house and i am the post-production supervisor with my fucking name on a door and would you be okay if you never acted again uh well with that it would probably we would we would be so busy on the post-production side then we could probably even make our own work like i would want to still act like i would still want to be in stuff like i still want to do that Mm -hmm. um just my main focus right now is like on the post-production. Um, that's not to being said that like I just haven't auditioned in a long time, but I think I feel like now it's one mm-hmm. of those things like how, what's best going to get us forward from now on. It's like, let's right. all become, mm-hmm. you know. well, I think you're on the right path. We've mentioned WWE twice. I like to do things in trees. Uh, okay. You recently texted me that Hulk Hogan was in your bar. Oh my gosh! Yeah. How did, how was that? It was during the Hall of Fame. Oh, that was in New York. It was in New York. Yeah. How during was the it? WWE Dude, Hall I Fame. think I might get Sarge Sarge on that. Did you shake hands with him? Uh, no, 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 no. That wasn't. It's okay. So the the joint that I'm at, um, which is a cool spot. I really do like the company that I work for. Um, and you know, you wear a white coat and blah blah blah. So it's like, but also it's Brooklyn, so we have a little mm. bit of lax and we have a lot of gray area that we can operate in. But when he walked through the door, Shawnee, it was like. Looking at did they hit his music? No, they didn't. but it was <laughs> that honestly would have been amazing. It yeah. was like looking, I have a real American hit. Yeah, it was. It was honestly like looking at the old plastic doll that we all had, just blown up and come to life. And he came through the door. I was like, oh my god, that's Hulk Hogan. Wow, it was amazing. Did uh, you? So you never approached him? No, no, no. Was no, he no. nice to the server? Uh, he was nice to everybody. He was. He was a sweetheart. Wow, such a sweetheart. You know, uh, my bar manager actually like took him upstairs to the to the house and like you know all the things and yeah. Is so. that the most famous person you ever served? Most famous, most recognized. Like this is a person that we have iconicized. Like boom, like that guy. Mm-hmm. Who no. would you get with the most starstruck if you met out of anyone? I super geeked out on Gwendolyn Christie. I don't even know who that is. Okay, so she plays Brienne of Tarth in the Game of Thrones. Oh, I've never watched an episode. Okay, I heard it's a terrible show. <laughs> <laughs> it's dragons and shit yeah. oh it's so exciting there's it's, dragons it's give me a, a break dude there's cartoons about dragons watch yeah. that no Game of Thrones was amazing I know this yeah, is something yeah, you yeah, and I yeah, we, yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> we don't agree on right. but it was amazing Um, so she I'm sitting there it's it's a lunch and actually this is so there's actually two that you'll appreciate do the dragons fly Uh, absolutely oh cool and they burn things down and oh, they wow. eat people and they that's eat so goats. interesting it's amazing Shawnee, you would probably... They eat goats? There, there are probably a couple Hawks of... Hawks eat goats. Like, that's not that exciting. Hawks eat goats? I've seen a hawk lift a goat off a cliff, drop it from 40 feet in the air, and eat it. It's on YouTube. 
Right. Who needs Game of Thrones? I do remember, I do know that. I think I've seen that video. Oh my god, I watched those Adam Nature yeah, things all It was the time. a billy goat trying to get up the mountain. Just living its best dude, life. Yeah. yeah. And the hawk just murders it. It's 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 hard to watch, but it's like a car accident you can't look away. Yeah. Yeah, but what were we talking about? We were talking about Gwendolyn Christie. I was just trying to distract you from talking about Game of Thrones. No, 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 no. We were talking about Gwendolyn Christie. So she's a, an iconic woman um, who is the forefront of a lot I of saw movies. the small guy on 11th Street one day. His name is Peter Dinklage. That guy, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't recognize him. The person I was with recognized him. He's pretty recognizable. Yes. I should have recognized yes. him. Um, and he's he's done a lot of the Brendan Bean films. Or not Brendan Bean. Um, Martin McDonough films. I thought you said he wasn't. He wasn't in Bruges. He was in three billboards but he outside wasn't of the Ebbing. dwarf in No, Imbruge. he was not the dwarf in Bruges. no. So Martin McDonough's just got like a thing? <laughs> Fetish? Weird... <laughs> With broken things. Yeah. Um, so Gwendolyn Christie, I, I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, that's her. But you know who else um, that I, my buddy Phineas and I, we all kind of geeked out on this one, um, was that I came back from a seven minute break. It's 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 like late on a Wednesday night and I come over and there's a dude and a girl, a woman sitting at the bar and I look up and I just see, a, and I see an empty beer glass and I was like, hey man, would you like another beer? And it's Coach Cower, Coach Bill Cower. Oh, and no I was way. like, oh, coach, hi. Oh, my God. I super, super geeked out. And then right. Phineas runs over this way. He's like, oh, Patrick, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, hey, I'm I'm Patty. And then, you know, then we talked to his wife and we talked to It was a great conversation. We hung out for like two hours that day. It was oh, awesome. Wow. Yeah. So the end of September, we're in Chicago. We're Misty Button screening. Um, and then we've just booked uh, one festival night and we can't talk about another one the week after. Uh, we got to go back to Connecticut. We got to go back to Yonkers. What's been your best experience in the in the film festival world so far? Um, we're not allowed to talk about Ireland. We can talk about the fact that we're going to Ireland because that's that's pretty big. We have a big announcement coming that's Friday. Um, that's pretty big. Like that's the big. I mean, that's that's what we've all yeah been gunning for. Like that's that's what all of this work is coming around to. Mm-hmm. However. When we showed at the Soho International Film Festival, I'm with Vanessa. We're in the very, very back of a theater that has 330 people in it. And then there's a short film that the festival showed. And then Locked in the Attic Productions came on the screen and 330 people started clapping and cheering. I turned to her and I said, okay, that feels okay. Mm-hmm. That feels good. Yeah. You know, because that was a lot of hard work. Exactly. Yeah. Because there were there were hundreds and hundreds, thousands of hours worth of just like thousands, like thousands you're not exaggerating. Yeah. And we, you know, has this eaten into your personal finances? The fact that we've been doing this shit for four or five years? Of course. Right. Of course. Yeah. But also, I mean, there have been very, very lean weeks. I remember during the filming of Love is Dead. I think that was the most broke I'd been in a, in like for that long of a time. Right. You know, it, it was only about three weeks, but it was like, wow, dude. Because you're out of work. Like, and you're, you were, yeah, because yeah, I had to take the, the yeah. time off of work. And as a bartender, you're not making money if you're not behind the bar. Yeah. Um, I have no regrets about like going all in, like the chips went in. It's yeah. like, okay, if you want to make this, you have to go 100% in. 100%. And of course, the first few years are going to be rough. LA and New York, you know, we've been comparing them a lot on the show but you really can't it's like apples and oranges and i would say that the hardest thing for anyone thinking about moving out to los angeles is that rent gig if you're going out there to work in a bar you're going to have to spend way more time at that bar than you want yeah. and for, probably for less money a lot less money than you were making in a new york a lot less money but on the other end the standard of living is you'll, you'll have a way nicer apartment 
the weather is nice all year round. Um, but you just kind of got to get lucky with the ranking. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Um, I, I've never lived in Los Angeles because I, I moved out of California um, in 2002. And I was doing professional theater. And so I, w- I wasn't making any, re- I mean, I wasn't making real money, mm-hmm. but like, you know, you could be a barista. And that was another plan that we had had also a long time ago, back in 2014 it was like, Hey, let's just stop bartending and stop the nightclubs and stop all of that stuff. Let's just be a barista somewhere um, in the morning and then be able to do theater at night mm-hmm. because you can do that because you have three different slots of the day. But in Los Angeles, it sounds like you only have two. Right. Right. Like mm-hmm. you have the morning and the evening yeah, and that's it. Like, I'm sure you can get nightclub jobs out there, but it's like you got to know people to get good exactly. gigs. There's so few good good gigs in LA that like you need to have an in. Right. And to get an in, you have to live there for an extended period of time. So it's like a cash point too, like everything in this friggin' industry. Get out of cash point too. Yeah. So you're off to Ireland. I'm excited to show you Ireland. I'm ex- incredibly excited. The last time I was there was in 2012. Yeah, but where were you? I was in Dublin. Which doesn't count. Exactly. Where else did you go? Uh, we traveled across and like we went to the lighthouse there. Um, and then I ended up losing my passport. And yeah, that was kind of like. The hell did you get out of the country? Um, well, the consulate actually, they just want you to be able to leave. Were you, so you stick around Dublin? Just in Dublin, you know. Oh, you haven't seen Ireland. No, absolutely not. I, and I think people from Dublin would agree with that. You have to. Yeah. Well, maybe not. I, I'm very bitter with people from Dublin right now because Dublin beat Kerry in the RM final. Sure. Um, which is like the Irish Super Bowl. So I, uh, yeah, I could go. I won't go on a rant about it. But yeah, screw Dublin. We have three scripts ready to shoot right now. One in. New York, one in LA, one in Ireland. Which one do you want to shoot first? Ireland. Yeah. Tornitrally. Tornitrally. I'd be okay with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. From your lips to God's ears, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Tornitrally. Yeah. Pat, for anyone listening, I know you're not a social media guy, but where can people find you? Um, you know. Well, I just tell them to follow the Missy Button. Well, page. Missy Button. Oh, hold on. Because I, I post I more do, about you than you do about yourself. I, exactly. Um, I do have. It's Patrick B. Shearer. So it's P-A-T-R-I-C-K B as in Brian Shearer, S-C-H-E-R-E-R on the Instagram. Um, I just don't post anything, but you guys tag me and everything. Which oh, is great. so just look at his tagged photos. Exactly. And also follow Misty Button. And follow Misty Button. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And Locked in the Attic. Like, right. Like well, you've been an integral part of the whole Locked in the Attic thing. I don't think it would still exist unless we brought you I mean, in. Listen, man. We've had a great time. Um, and more great times to come. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you and and the company in general is just a sign that like hard work is what it takes. Hard work is key. Yeah. This like most people I meet in boats in every city, you know, aspiring actors and all this. A lot of them just want to be famous. But like we're just putting the work in because like at the end of the day, especially like when I look at you, you're just a guy that wants to make a living doing what he loves to do. And I think people respect that and everyone listening uh, especially the Misty Button crew listening are all wishing you the best and they're all excited to work with you again and I'm excited to get back to work with you. This year has been a lot of like selling instead of creating because last year was such a huge year but yeah. I'm excited for 2020 Absolutely. and getting back on set yeah. or back on in, on stage. and uh, Into the grind, into the sweat. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks a million. It's actually so It's great to have you on the show and we're in Chicago. There's yeah. a hurricane there's coming. literally a hurricane happening. Outside. And it's hitting right when Misty Button hits yeah. Uh, yeah. the Gene Siskel tonight, and uh, which is fitting an Irish movie and it's pouring rain outside. So it, it works. All right. Yeah. Well, that was Patrick Shearer, and this was the mid-season finale. 
we are actually going to be traveling a lot over the next uh, month or two. But we will be back again before the year's out with the second half of season one. I hope you've enjoyed uh, the season so far. I have a lot of really cool artists ready to bring on the show um, in L.A. and, and in New York. So we're going to be recording by Coastal for the second half of the season. Um, keep up with Pat. Keep up with the Sustaining Artists. We have an Instagram page. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe. Um, keep an eye on our Instagram and we'll let you know when we're back. Alright, thank you guys so much for listening. That is a wrap and we will talk to you guys soon.
Fantasy 